Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share and their insights on how they got to the level of success they have today. This is episode 148, and today we'll be chatting with Sean Ellis, the CEO of GrowthHackers.com and the co-author of a new book, Hacking Growth. Sean began his career in tech back in 1995 after he invested all his money in a friend's company. There, he helped a young startup overcome a lot of challenges related to growth and monetization. This experience led him to realize the potential for growth that could be unlocked through cross-discipline collaboration. Sean then took on more growth roles at startups like LogMeIn, Dropbox, Eventbrite, and more, ultimately coining the term growth hacker and pioneering a new discipline and skill set. Sean went on to start his own company, Qualaroo, which had customers like Uber, Starbucks, Spotify, and many more. It also grew to millions of dollars in monthly reoccurring revenue before being acquired. Sean also started GrowthHacker.com, the online community for growth-minded people. Through these experiences, he and Morgan Brown, another veteran marketer, teamed up to write Hacking Growth, a book that could serve as a detailed how-to guide for the next generation of startups looking to acquire customers and grow. Sean joins us to share his story, how he started his career in tech, what it was like growing Uproar, LogMeIn, Dropbox, and more, what it was like launching his own startup, why and how he built GrowthHackers.com, why he and Morgan wanted to write Hacking Growth, some of the biggest mistakes he sees startups making when it comes to growth, and much more. So once again, we'd like to welcome you to the show. Feel free to tweet at us at Hack2Start, drop us an email, hey at Hack2Start.com, or share your feedback right on iTunes with a review. Good or bad, we'd love to hear from you. So let's get started. Hey, Sean, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. We're super excited for Hacking Growth, your new book that uh, we're going to get to in, in, in a little bit. But I guess before we dive into that, can you tell us a bit more about yourself? Like, where are you from? And what did you study? Sure. So I grew up in um, Southern California. I've kind of lived all over the world since that, but I've moved back to Southern California a few years ago. But uh, I was I was born in Australia, so I was sort of born on the road and then lived a lot of time on the road. So not surprisingly, my, my area of study was international relations. So I actually kind of did what I studied, which is sometimes rare these days. Yeah, absolutely. It's really cool. And so I guess where along the line did your passion for tech and entrepreneurship develop in that case? So for entrepreneurship, I, I think I was always pretty entrepreneurial. My dad's an entrepreneur, so I kind of watch him do it from afar. But I you know, got in trouble, I think, in maybe fourth or fifth grade for selling candy at school. And at least it was just candy. So it could have been worse in yeah. later years. And then, you know, in high school, I set up a Christmas tree delivery business with a friend and, you know, kind of learned that paying $100 for a gigantic truck to deliver one Christmas tree at a time was probably not that smart, but definitely had the had the design desire to go out and figure out creative ways to make money. So that was an interest pretty early on for me. And then when I graduated from college, I wanted to do something, you know, wanted to do a startup and, and be entrepreneurial, but I let my dad kind of talk me out of it. Essentially, you know, he told me he thought it was better for me to get some experience first. So yeah, I didn't do it right at that point. And it took me a long time till I was finally kind of a founder CEO. So that was many years later. Yeah, absolutely. And so I know you share more of that story, you know, within your book, I dove in yesterday and read the first 200 or so pages. But can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and really how you started your career, especially in growth with Uproar, LogMeIn and then Dropbox, especially in terms of like, what was the landscape like back then? 
Sure. So, uh, yeah, I mentioned I'd spent a lot of time living abroad over the years. So I, I had done a year abroad in Eastern Europe just when the wall came down. So I was in college. I started in 1989. So that was Eastern Europe was a pretty interesting part of the world at that point. And so I moved actually then afterward, after I graduated from college, back to Budapest and worked for a couple of years selling advertisements in a business journal. But a friend of mine was starting a company and told me a bit about it. And just on a whim, I took all of the commissions that I'd earned since graduating over the couple of years and put them all into his company before any VC money went in there. So it was 1995, put it all on black and, you know, turned out more like put it all on like double zeros, you know, in terms of, you know, black would be almost a 50-50 chance, but, you know, just yeah. just uh, t- took a really big bet. And turns out 1995 was a pretty good time to make, a, you know, an, an all-in bet on an internet company. So I ended up joining that company a few months later, once the product was close to release and originally joined it in an ad sales position. So joined it, got shipped off back to New York as you know, the first US-based employee for the company and basically started knocking on the doors of big advertising agencies. And not surprisingly, they weren't interested in advertising on a website that didn't have any users. So I uh, got got kind of a temporary role to, to go and try to build the user base on the product. And kind of long story short, we, we were able to basically build the company up to being a top 10 website in the world. So this was a company uh, was uproar.com and just really like leverage data super well. So we had great developers in Eastern Europe. And so we had much better tracking than most people and came out with the first embeddable widget. So kind of like uh, what YouTube did a few years later, but we had this widget that spread to a whole bunch of sites that uh, spread our gameplay experience on there and did some pretty creative things to grow that business. And so built that up. We sold that in 2001. And then a couple of years later, group of people from, from Uproar all came back together for Log Me In. I was actually back in Eastern Europe at this time, and so we we launched Log Me In from Budapest, and I pretty soon shipped over to the United States, and Log Me In was kind of, for me, that kind of the big aha moment, and this whole idea of cross-functional growth experimentation. I tried to approach it in a in a fairly kind of marketing way, even though at, at Uproar we had done some some pretty creative things. I still... At Log Me In, you know, came in and, and sort of acquisition was my area of focus in running marketing. But what I found pretty early on, we ended up going with a freemium type business model. And what I found was if we if we were trying to execute a freemium model, we need to be really efficient all the way through the customer journey. So really efficient on onboarding and conversion and ultimately driving upsells and monetization and approaching that as kind of a, a siloed marketer really didn't work. And so that was the big aha for me was let's find a way to work cross-functionally as a group. Our CEO was great, Mike Simon. He kind of looked at the numbers that I was showing him and, and agreed that if we don't get all groups working together, running experiments across that life cycle, we were going to have a hard time growing this business. And uh, yeah, at that point, we, we were really stalled out on growth. And eventually, yeah, today it's, it's it's over a $6 billion valued company. So that kind of big aha was what led me to end up going and, and trying to implement a similar type approach at companies like Dropbox and Eventbrite and Lookout after that in more short-term roles. That's really cool. So as, as you've talked about, you spend a lot of time in your career as a growth consultant, continuing to work with amazing startups like Eventbrite, Lookout, and many more. So what motivated you to launch your own company, Qualaroo, and what did it do? 
Yeah, I mean, it was actually really hard to step away from these interim VP marketing roles or, or heads of growth roles because you know we had it structured where all equity was vested. It was really fun and you know a lot of great learning. But for me, the the big motivation to go and try to do my own thing was this question mark of you know could I do my own thing? I'd had a lot of success growing other people's visions and companies and wanted to see if I if I had what it takes to actually conceptualize, launch, and grow something on my own. And so that's why I took the leap. And it's really freaking hard. So <laughs> for anyone else who's kind of going through that uh, that thought process, that that was, uh, I probably underestimated how darn difficult it is to actually come up with something that can be grown. But probably was actually something that I'd been an advisor to Kissmetrics and had recommended that they build something like Qualaroo. And, and so kind of worked with them in the early days and then ended up actually buying Qualaroo to, you know, just the, the really foundational. It didn't, it was called Kiss Insights at the time. Didn't have a ton of traction, but enough traction that it could help me, you know, it could kind of kickstart the business a bit. And so it was essentially insights that run on websites. So as somebody navigates a website, you can target questions to specific people based on their behaviors and try to understand why they are or are not taking the actions that you want. And then it's really used primarily by conversion rate optimization people to be smarter about the experiments that they want to run across a website. And so, um, yeah, some, gr- some great customers on that. We actually sold that business. We were able to build it to millions of dollars in recurring revenue and uh, sold that business a little over a year ago. That's great. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about the acquisition. But as you mentioned, you had some great customers that included Uber, Spotify, Starbucks, and many more. So how did you approach acquiring big name customers like these? Well, the, that was one of the beauties with this business is that it actually, people discovered it really through an experience rather than seeing an advertisement somewhere or having a cold call from a salesperson. They would actually see it running on somebody else's website and it kind of, it demoed itself out across the web. So we had billions and billions of views across the web of people seeing this survey unit on websites. So all of those great companies that you listed were all inbound. So they, they saw it on somebody's site. We really focused on trying to have the customer experience be really good with the product that we knew to break into those types of companies. You know, Starbucks, it's one of the strongest brands in the world. You need to have something that actually is pleasant to interact with, very customizable to the to the look and feel, and uh, and and actually looks good on the website, uh, or they're not even going to consider it. And so that was a big part for us. You know, most of them were you know once they signed up for a trial, then then we had a touch process of of bringing them across the finish line, but and not always some of some of the times they convert on their own, but a lot of it was again they yeah they would see it on a website and then we had a link with some messaging on the unit where they they could click through on that messaging that said either powered by Qualaroo or we eventually did lots of testing on the message and what worked well for us was uh, have you tried Qualaroo yet yeah so that that's how we got those those good big companies yeah that's amazing so what are some of the biggest challenges in running your own company and driving growth for it versus growing someone else's startup and their growth so i touched on this a little bit already like the biggest challenge is actually is actually creating value in the first place that ultimately if you don't have something that's pretty valuable to people or that's very valuable that's kind of a must-have then 
You might be able to get them to use it once, but you can't market your way into getting them to use it a lot of times. That, that ultimately, you know, the, the kind of X factor in any business is creating something that people say, gosh, this is, this is a must have. I, I really need this thing. I love this thing. And so I think there's some luck that's involved with that. There's, you know, there could be some sort of great product development, some, some really good customer development, but a lot needs to go right to build value at that level. And if you don't have value at that level, you won't retain people. And if you can't retain people, you can't sustainably grow a business. So I would say that that's probably the hardest part is just the creation of value in the first place. Once you have that value, it's actually been pretty hard for me as well, just to find the time to focus on growth. My passion is growth and kind of all things growth related. But when you're the CEO, you've got to think about fundraising and what's our burn rate. And, you know, this person's pet just passed away or this person has a sick family member like I have to be empathetic and really try to help them through those things and so so you just have to be like sensitive to what's going on around with different members of the team and you know and, and sometimes you hire people who just aren't a good fit and being able to navigate that so there's just I think being a founder CEO is really challenging I'm I'm pretty introverted so a lot of what I would love to do is just close my door and you know dig into the dig into the data think up experiments and run the experiments. And, you know, you, you can do a lot of those things kind of on your own, but there's so much more leverage in having a great team around you and, and making sure that that team's excited about what's going on and that you're sensitive to what else is going on in their lives. Because as much as we'd love for everybody to only have this, it's, it's not reality. They, most people have a lot of other things going on in their lives. So following the acquisition of Qualaroo, you launched growthhackers.com as the online community for growth hackers worldwide. How do you approach growing and building this community and what were some of the coolest things to come out of it? Yeah, so it didn't actually it didn't actually launch kind of after Qualaroo. It sort of launched out of Qualaroo. We were what we found when we were trying to grow Qualaroo was that we had this really good organic channel, as I mentioned, but you're always trying to look for a way to bring it to the next level. And so what we found over time was that content marketing, not surprisingly, was really effective. So being able to help people understand how they can use surveys to accelerate their growth and drive the insights that's going to lead to smarter experiments. And there was so much content to create around that. But what we found is that there's thousands of marketing technology companies, and they're all making that same discovery that content is what drives growth in a marketing technology company. And so I ended up just sort of realizing that at this intersection of these two growth levers, one being the content and one being the kind of demo nature of the unit itself was this idea that if we can create a place where we can aggregate other people's content and build a community around other people's content where they can start to sift through, identify the really good content that's out there, discuss that content, that we'd have the foundation of something that was pretty unique. And so Techers really started as this tactic to help us basically have a place where if we could aggregate enough people and, and then run our own surveys on there, that we knew the conversion rate would be pretty high in driving signups on this. And we would also have a place for distributing our own content. So that was that was sort of where it came from. Getting growth hackers going in the first place, probably the hardest part with that was I, I actually had some audience already around kind of the same topics that were here through my 
personal blog that I've been, I've been blogging for you know five or six years on my personal blog and had a couple of posts that had you know, 100,000 plus readers on them and, and then you know, 10,000 ish followers on Twitter. And that was enough to kind of seed the community. But, but the hard part was really like as somebody came in and commented on an article, being able to not feel like they were in a ghost town. And so making sure that the, the early team of us who were working on this product were taking turns about making sure that we could just jump in there, engage with people. And it was probably a good three or four hardcore months of like being plugged in between the four of us being plugged in kind of 15, 16 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, not all, not each person being on that long, but just kind of dividing up the clock. And after about three or four months, we finally got it to where the community itself was self-sustaining. And then everything else kind of turns into more of a normal growth challenge of just how do you, how do you accelerate that growth? But that was sort of how we, how we originally got that foundation going. That's really cool. And so out of that, uh, you know, community, I guess you've recently released your own book written alongside Morgan Brown called Hacking Growth, as we mentioned. So what really motivated you to write that book and, and why the physical book format? Yeah, I think a lot of what motivated us was that we saw that there was a need Part of the reason why I started blogging and speaking at conferences and then even building Growth Hackers was that when you look around at the fastest growing companies, they don't take this traditional approach to marketing. They do something that is a lot more product holds a lot of the key levers of growth. And so getting marketing and product and design and, and data teams and even customer success kind of all working together is not a very easy process. Uh, what we saw was there were some books that were out there that were pretty light on substance. So they kind of hyped it a bit, but there just wasn't something that really kind of got into the nitty gritty of how do you actually do these things? How do, how do you get a team to work together when you're focusing on trying to drive acquisition or activation how do you get in there and how do you just prioritize what you want to do and what's the process for doing that? So there's just there's a lot of complexity and information, but the value of getting it right is the difference between businesses that are on the brink of going out of business and and building, you know, potentially a multi-billion dollar business. So I think the upside's really big there. And it's and there was just this information gap that I think a book fills that information gap a lot better than a half hour presentation or or a half hour podcast. Yeah, you know, that that ultimately there's there's just so many details to getting these things right that Morgan and I really wanted wanted to not just take our own experience of doing this, but go out and really interview everybody who was doing these things and try to take a lot of the stories and just bring it to life to be that how-to book to guide organizations through the transition to how, how companies, I believe, are going to grow in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And so I guess there's a couple of things I'd, I'd love to dive in there. I guess the first is what is the type of mindset or skill set that you need to become a successful growth hacker or, you know, whether it's inside of a startup or larger organizations and how do you go about developing those necessary skills? So for a kind of a, a growth hacker in a early stage startup is going to be a lot different than someone kind of leading a growth effort in a company of hundreds of employees. And then there's kind of a lot that goes in between. So I think the mindset is pretty common, but sort of the skill set might differ between the two. So if I was going to go through mindset, like commonalities, continuous improvement is a really important one. Just realizing that whatever you're doing 
there's a better way to do it. And, and the only way to figure out the better way is through experimentation. And so being highly experimental would be another part of that mindset. But then there's a lot of curiosity as well. So that's where I think it's really cool. Like when you see a designer who's really good, for example, that's part of a growth process. It's a designer, like the ideal designers are kind of rapid prototype designers who are super curious about how is someone going to interact with this thing? And how does that map with the stated objective of this design. So curiosity would be another part of the mindset. Empathy, like you, you got to be really empathetic about customers. Asking why the heck would anybody actually do this? Why would they not do it? I guess a, another one is just like being able to kind of get to the heart of the matter. So being able to like dig in and understand really what is preventing growth and, and just hone in and try to solve some of those like deep problems that are preventing growth. And probably the last one would be just being relentless and entrepreneurial. It's I think the hardest part of a business and where a lot of the value is created in a business. So not surprisingly, you need that same entrepreneurial drive that a, that a founder has when they start it in the first place, that success is not a guarantee success is actually pretty hard and you have to have a pretty high risk tolerance and like crazy willpower and just a relentless drive to know I'm going to figure it out. And I think if you combine all of those with the proven kind of processes that effective growth teams have and how to get disparate parts of the organization to work together to uncover growth opportunities and capitalize on them, it's super powerful and exciting. So I think process is as important as mindset, but mindset's definitely important as well. Yeah, absolutely. Two excellent points. And, and you're absolutely right. It, it is exciting. And it is, you know, about process and bringing everybody together and kind of driving towards that that end goal. And so like you just mentioned a moment ago as well, there's so many small details and that, that go into the how to of growth. So based on your experience and, you know, from the research in terms of writing this book and interviewing all the companies, what are some of the most common mistakes that you see in regards to growth, whether that's within startups or larger companies? whether it's a startup or a large company, probably the, the most common mistake is that they're approaching it in a very siloed way, that they're essentially saying marketing needs to figure out growth. And you know, going back to my sort of extreme example on Log Me In, when I was trying to grow using sort of what was what I was trusted with as a marketer, I hit a wall at $10,000 a month in spending. It was because majority of people who were signing up were never using the product. And for me to make the fixes necessary to be able to expand my marketing efforts, we needed to get that user journey fixed. And that was going to require me working much more closely with the product team to, to experiment through the onboarding of that user journey. Most businesses just don't either know that they need to do that or they just like the product team may not be interested. The marketing team may not be trusted. And so it's got to be, you know, another mistake then is that just that the CEO is, is not driving that change or senior executives are not driving the change. These cross-functional executives where these different departments report into are the ones that need to bring everybody together to get them working effectively across the full customer journey. Another issue that I think is really common is that they lack a common success metric. So I think one of the things that has made Facebook really successful, we talk about it in the book, is that I mean, one of the things that Facebook has done is that, that Mark Zuckerberg pretty early on defined initially monthly active users and eventually daily active users as the target, where he was saying, I don't care if we have a sign-up. And, and it's so easy for the marketing team to just get excited about sign-ups. It's like, I don't care about a sign-up. I don't even care that much about revenue opportunities. What I care about is daily active users. And if what you're doing is going to extend daily active users, then it's probably the right thing to do. 
if what you're doing isn't going to have an impact on that, then it's probably the wrong thing. And just having a common success metric can be really powerful in getting different teams to work together to move that metric. So I think most companies kind of lack what, what we refer to in the book as a North Star metric, which is really just this common success metric. Some of them lack tracking, but tracking is uh, more and more companies have pretty good tracking in place. I mean, they, and then probably the last thing would be that they just really don't prioritize growth enough. So it's sort of this wavering commitment to growth. And what I find is to really be effective, you need to have this sort of rhythm of experimentation where every week you're experimenting, you're looking at the results of that experimentation, getting smarter about what's going to work, prioritizing what you're doing the next week. And you drive this rhythm. Every successful growth team has this sort of rhythm to it. And when I see it fall apart in companies, usually it's like, oh, we need to borrow your dedicated engineers for a little while, or the designer is going to be too busy with this. So for the next few weeks, we're not going to experiment. But after that, we'll go back and we'll do it again. But if you've ever uh, been trying to eat healthy or trying to exercise, that your know, habit is so powerful in driving something that when you break the habit, it's really hard to restart it. And so I see a lot of companies kind of kind of grind to a halt when they when they lose that important testing habit. Yeah, you guys did a great job on exploring, you know, that story around Facebook and the need to have that North Star metric. And another thing you guys did a really great job of was diving into a bunch of, you know, the other really popular growth stories. But finding growth opportunities isn't always obvious when you're, you know, in there building the startup. So what are some of the patterns or data that you look for when trying to find these opportunities? Yeah, I think it starts every business is unique. So there's not going to be there's not going to be a set of tactics that you can apply to any business. So I, I completely agree on that. I think you can get some inspiration in some of the stories we have in the book to understand how they approached it. But for any one individual business, what we recommend is that you start by just trying to validate that somebody loves your product, that somebody considers it a must have. And we give you a, a surveying process to figure that out and some benchmarks to, to know if it's enough. But once you understand the value within your product, it's that value that's going to propel you to long term sustainable growth. So once you understand that value and, and validate that it's there, then it's about calibrating everything in the business around delivering more of that value to the right people. So running more experiments to get people to that point, messaging that value in a way that sets the right expectations up front, maybe turns away some people who aren't interested, but that's what makes the product a must have. So if they're not interested in that, they probably wouldn't have been long-term retained anyway. Who are the types of people who need that value? But it starts really qualitatively. And I think that can be a challenge for sort of very data-driven types that, you know, the, a lot of this is very data-driven, but if you don't kind of understand the qualitative situation or deeply understand the qualitative situation, you can't really run the experiments with the data feedback loops that helps you to helps you to improve the situation in, in a real meaningful way. So, you know, back to like one of the errors that I do see some companies make is that they're pure A-B testing. And like a joke that is often said is that like A-B testing that's like completely unbridled always leads to pornography and gambling because that's yeah. what people are going <laughs> to respond best to. But, you know, if you're, if you're not really understanding authentically what the true value of your product is, then you're not going to be able to constrain that A-B testing around setting the right expectations for what it's actually great at. Yeah, definitely. And and so I know that you, you've touched on this a little bit as, as the episode's gone on, as we've discussed a little bit, but what do you think has been the biggest shift in terms of growth or growth hacking over the last eight or so years since you first uh, you know coined the term? 
Um, probably the biggest shift is that there's a gazillion people calling themselves growth hackers now, for, for better or worse. I mean, and that's, again, part of what we're trying to achieve with this book is being a growth hacker or growth hacking is not just about sort of giving yourself a label or being super clever on what you come up with, but it is about a process and a, and a like super honed in approach to driving growth. And I, so I think there's a lot of awareness on kind of that there's these really interesting things that drive growth in businesses, but there's probably still most people don't really know how to approach it in an effective way where they can kind of put it to work in their business. So that's probably what's changed a lot is that a lot of people kind of sort of understand it and maybe use the term, but they don't understand it yet to a level where they can really put it into practice and drive great results with it. Yeah, absolutely. So changing topics a little, what are some of the notable apps or tools that you've downloaded or used recently? Funny enough, I, I'm actually been an investor in Ring for a long time. If you if you know those guys, the video doorbell company, but I didn't start using it for a while, like until just in the last month or two, because my mm-hmm. we had renovated our house and my wife didn't want some doorbell that replaced our super fancy doorbell, you know, old fashioned looking doorbell thing. But our neighbor across the street got their house robbed, and that was enough to suddenly say maybe taking security seriously is a good idea. And so I've been super excited just about the kind of combination of hardware and the app for being able to kind of manage security in our in our house with that. That's been one that I'm pretty excited about. So is this the first piece of smart tech in your home or are you exploring a bunch of other smart home devices? You know, I, I kind of played around with Amazon uh, Alexa and unfortunately my device broke <laughs> like out of the blue and they sent me like a couple of new power cords. And so that was cool. I actually did like it. And I finally, you know, I had my sort of protest of not buying another one since it broke, but I finally ended up buying a replacement that I haven't hooked up yet, but that would be my only kind of other sort of smart tech internally. I'd love, it's a couple thousand dollars if I want to try to get like my, my jacuzzi hooked up to, to smart tech. But the number of times that I guess my smart tech is my phone where I call my daughter and say, can you turn on the jacuzzi if, I'm, <laughs> there if, you I'm, go. if I need a jacuzzi when I'm coming home? But I'm, I'm excited for it. But what's kind of funny is that I'm not really, I personally am not much of an early adopter on technology. So Morgan Brown, who's my co-author, is like a super early adopter on everything. I think sometimes an advantage for me in tech marketing is that, again, I talked about earlier about the importance of empathy. A very small percentage of the world is super, super early adopter in tech. And so it's a lot easier for me to kind of ask that question of why the heck would somebody want this thing? Because I'm constantly asking myself that where yeah, Morgan, first guy I knew with Google Glass, but you know, <laughs> there's so many, so many like gadgets that he has that, yeah, he, he would be a good person to ask that question too. <laughs> Absolutely. I hope to be able to, uh, to ask the question to him one day for sure. So people should definitely go and grab a copy of Hacking Growth and dive right in. But do you have any recommendations on other great content that you've come across lately? Uh, you know, one of the places that I really like to go for content is Conversion XL. So uh, Pep Laya is the guy behind that. And they just have consistently really good articles about the mechanics of running a test and how to run it long enough and how to structure it. And, you know, we, d- we don't actually go into a lot of detail in, in our book on on the deep mechanics of running a test. We, we kind of go more through the how to come up with a good test and how to how to have your team work together to execute that test. But I think I think they've got some really good content there that goes deep into the weeds of kind of best practices in the actual testing itself. Yeah, absolutely. Conversion Excel is a great site. So we've talked a bunch about, you know, growth related topics throughout the episode, but do you have any last thoughts or personal models that you live by and you think others should know about? 
Uh, not necessarily a personal motto, but I, I would definitely kind of a last thought is that changes are happening in the marketing world that basically we've gone through this time where everybody, you know, at one point I had this huge advantage back in the uproar days, of, you know, 20 years ago now, where I really found out how to harness data. And most of my competitors did not know how to effectively harness data and testing kind of out in the channels. So we had the lowest customer acquisition cost of any publicly traded company, for example, just because we were actually optimizing it. Big surprise there. But I, I think what's happened is that sort of everybody has gotten really smart about optimizing in channels. And so Things get saturated so quickly. Things are changing so quickly that for a marketer who doesn't, or even a CEO or a company who doesn't start to think about how do I build customer acquisition competitiveness all the way through my company so that when, when we do have someone's attention, we're really good at converting, engaging, monetizing, driving referrals off that person. If you don't kind of get all of those pieces right, I think it's going to be harder and harder to compete against people who do get them right. And more and more, it's going to be just kind of the table stakes of how you have to drive growth. So I think a lot of the changes we talk about in the book are not necessarily easy changes, but they're necessary changes to to be competitive and, and to survive kind of in the next battle for customers that's going to happen over the next you know five or 10 years. Absolutely. Uh, Sean, thanks so much uh, for taking the time to chat with us about your story and hacking growth. Uh, we really appreciate having you on the show. You're welcome. Thanks, guys, for having me on. Well, that's another episode of Hack to Start. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again soon. Remember to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, as well as on the web at hacktostart.com. We honestly couldn't do this show without your awesome support. So if you liked what you heard, feel free to share it on Twitter or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and until next week.